Welcome back to another episode of Boston Strongcast. We've got Kevin Can back on the mic today hosting, interviewing three of our team TPS lifters here at Total Performance Sports, all of them who competed at Raw Nationals in Orlando, Florida just a couple weeks ago. Uh, today we've got on the mic Carrie Sachs, who's a 52-kilo lifter on the women's side, Danielle Bond, who's an 84-plus kilo lifter, also on the women's side. Then we got Dave Rockledge, who is a 105-kilo lifter on the men's side. This is going to be a great podcast. They're going to talk about things that they wish they knew when they first started out, how they got started out in powerlifting, and their training cycles leading up to Raw Nationals. It's going to be a great one, so you guys are going to want to stick around for that. I will catch you over on the podcast. Here we go. Hey, this is Kevin Can with Boston's Strong Cast, episode number three. Today I'm joined by three lovely lifters of Total Performance Sports, Danielle Bond, Carrie Sachs, and all the way from sunny Florida, David Rockledge. Uh, we're missing Nick tonight. He had to work, and we'll get him on another one. Um, in this one today, we're going to kind of go over their entire training block leading up through Nationals. Danielle's been with me for two years. Kerry and Dave have been with me for a year. So there's been some kind of ups and downs along the way, and I want you guys to hear their perspective on how training goes. Uh, but we're going to just start things off nice and simple. I'm going to go around. You guys are going to introduce yourselves. Uh, let us know what you do for work. Um, yeah, Danielle Bond, start things off. <laughs> Let's go, Bond. <laughs> so obviously my name is Danielle Bond. I'm a special education teacher at Everett High School. I started working with Kevin, like he said, about two years ago. Never really wanted to get involved in powerlifting, but kind of got sucked into powerlifting. And now I really enjoy being a part of the community. Nice. I don't know anything else. All right, Carrie. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm Carrie Sachs. Uh, yep, I've been lifting with Kevin for about a year. When we aren't spending all of our time in the gym, um, I work for Boston Medical Center as an operations manager in our cardiac testing office. So it can always be a little bit interesting trying to fit together um, working in a hospital, being a manager, um, and being able to get here fighting through traffic on 93 North. <laughs> Lovely Boston traffic. <laughs> Dave, let us know a little bit about uh, your sexy self. All right. Well, I'm David Rockledge, and uh, I'm in Florida. Um, see, I am a strength coach and trainer at uh, Crushy Sports Performance, and I also run my own business out of another studio gym here in Florida. I've been with Kevin for a year, and I've been powerlifting for about two years now. All right, so... One question. We'll go around in the same order. Um, how and why did you get into powerlifting? Let's start with you, Danielle. <laughs> um, I kind of feel like it wasn't my choice. <laughs> I was Kevin's guinea pig when he decided that he wanted to try the Shiko program. And I kind of told him that I was doing one meet, one and done. That was it. And he told me that doing this program could work out two ways. I could die or get really strong. Um, clearly I'm still alive, so that didn't happen. Um, and then since that first meet, I just kind of been chasing my own, well, not really my goals, because I never really set them, Kevin's goals for myself, and just always trying to improve at every meet. All right, Terry. Um, so I started lifting about 
two and a half years ago, um, I had a good friend who basically wanted to run a Tough Mudder and wanted someone to run it with him. Um, so he started training me, kind of got me into the gym, ran a couple of the Tough Mudders in those races, and then found out that my knees don't work very well. So decided that standing still and picking things up and putting them down would be a better idea. Um, so I then, I've always kind of liked the competitions and things like that, grew up riding horses and playing lacrosse. Um, and so I did my first USAPL meet two years ago. I actually started at the American Open because I didn't understand what a huge meet it was. So that was my first ever meet. Um, tell, tell them about your deadlift at that meet. Oh, it, the first meet was so fun. <laughs> um, it was good. So so my buddy who was training me, um, he's awesome, got me really strong. But neither of us really knew anything about powerlifting or the USAPL. Um, I had like a hilarious belt that was tapered in the front that someone had to tell me wasn't legal. Um, I didn't know what any of the commands were. I had honestly no idea what I was doing. Um, another really nice 52 kindly spent hours talking me through how a meet works. And I was asking her things like, so are there ellipticals that you warm up on? Like, how do you get ready in the morning? <laughs> there aren't ellipticals at powerlifting meets, in case anyone was concerned. You can barely find an elliptical at a powerlifting gym. <laughs> I think ours is broken out the time. Um... So, um, so, so we, we got to the meet, um, I managed to somehow not bomb out on squats, um, got one in, managed to somehow not bomb out on bench, I got one in, <laughs> um, and so deadlift is kind of my lift, that's the one that I've always just been strongest at, but knowing nothing of what I was doing, I, um, went in wearing my lifting shoes. <laughs> um, These are raised heel shoes. With, yeah, with, with, with nice heels, I was wearing knee sleeves, like literally no idea what I was doing managed to somehow rip 319 pounds off the ground the head judge kind of came up to me afterwards and she was like honey let me explain to you how this how this deadlifting thing works um so it, it's good we, we've definitely done a lot of refining along the way but Should have been like honey I just pulled three times body weight yeah like let's go <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, Dave how'd you get into powerlifting um well let's see I started you know, sports when I was younger, so I was always competitive through sports throughout college. And once, uh, when I was in college, I would, you know, weightlifting was always a part of my life, whether it was in a strength and conditioning facility for playing football, or if I was just lifting with my buddies, uh, weightlifting has just been part of who I am for the last 10, 12 years. So um, when I got out of college and I was, you know, looking kind of for something still to be competitive in, um, me and my buddy signed up for a push-pull competition in Massachusetts. And uh, we did that, and um, it was it was definitely interesting. I, I had never been in a competitive weightlifting situation like that before. And uh, I think I, I benched a little over, no, I, I think I just benched like 275. And, uh, I ended up going for a state record on like a deadlift or something, and uh, I missed it on my third attempt. But uh, I just realized after that environment and like what, how much fun that was, that it was something I wanted to keep doing. So when I relocated down to Florida, um, you know, I met, I met some guys at a local gym here, and they were powerlifting guys. And you know, I had done my push pull competition. Um, 
they kind of like, hey, let's let's do a real meet. Let's get you, you know, squatting, benching, and deadlifting. And I was like, all right, that sounds good. My only hesitations as a lifter were that I had, you know, multiple orthopedic surgeries from playing sports, including, you know, tearing both my ACLs and having those repaired. So the thing that really stuck with me after I started getting into the powerlifting was, you know, this is a controlled environment. I can, you know, I can really control what's going to happen in the weight room. I can't really control what's happening on the field. So I realized that the weightlifting was going to be uh, a much safer uh, path for me to go, just stay at a competitive edge and um, still enjoy doing what I like to do. And uh, I did my first USAPL meet like a year and a half ago, and um, I qualified for nationals, and the rest is history. So now I'm uh, just grinding it out. So what you're saying is squatting is not bad for your knees? It is not. <laughs> good, good, good to know. Um, so one thing that we kind of touched upon before is all three of these guys, they they have full-time jobs, and Danielle's in school at the same time. Dave's interning on top of working. Um, I want you guys to talk about a little bit how it is trying to juggle training and trying to be competitive in a sport while you're trying to work full-time and have lives outside of the gym as well. And we'll start with Danielle again. Um, I definitely don't think it's easy, but I've always been someone that likes to pack my schedule with a lot of things. Uh, like everyone else, I was competitive as a child in different sports, so I always knew how to schedule school, extracurriculars, twirling, or playing field hockey. So now that I'm older, it's I'm in the gym on the days I'm not in school, and I'm working, and if I can't get a workout in during the week, we have to sacrifice our weekends, and I think you just kind of get used to the routine. Like now, I mean, we just had a week off, and I was kind of lost, even though I'm like, oh my god, I have free time, but I was like, I kind of don't want free time. So I think it's just really important to know how to plan your schedule, and you know that you're going to have to sacrifice things. I mean, I think we do a really good job of kind of fitting in our personal lives, but... Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it doesn't always fall Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Those are your three training days. It's yeah, more... so it's nice that you're accommodating to us, knowing that we have those schedules. I mean, you have a lot of clients, so I feel like we can just jump in with anybody else, and we've been trained well enough to be able to train on our own and know what we're doing, so that's kind of a plus, too. Carrie? Yeah, like Danielle said, it kind of just becomes your new normal, and it is your schedule, and it is what you do. And there are always so many people who ask, like, oh, how do you spend so much time in the gym? Like, how do you, how are you dedicated? How do you fit it in? And it's not fitting it in. It's just life. And so I think that's the biggest thing. And what I, you know, I tell all my friends, no matter what kind of workouts it is they like to do, is if you're trying to always fit it in, if it's something that you're trying to, you know, add on, you're going to find a million excuses not to do it. It's really easy to write it off. Whereas... I know that I have three days that I have to come lift, so I have to come lift. And, like, you know, I had a deadline I had to hit for work today, and so it meant that on Monday I worked a 12-hour shift, and I came in and I squatted at 8 p.m. You just kind of get it done. Um, so it's it's not easy, but there is then also the nice part that coming here is awesome and that we like to work out and that it's fun. So... It, you know, it's not an extra thing we have to do. I look forward to seeing Danielle. And we look forward to driving Kevin crazy. You know, <laughs> it makes the three days fun. Um, and, and that's why it's awesome having a community, having something you look forward to doing. Um, and, and so that it's not a chore. It's something you want to do. 
And one of the things, like for the listeners, like they only train three days because their lives are so hectic. So on those three days that they're in the gym, their their acute volumes are, are much higher uh, than if they were training four days. And it would probably be more beneficial if they could train four days. However, you know, nobody's getting paid to do this sport. So it is something that has to be fit in. And you can still get pretty freaking strong training three days a week while working full time, going to school and dealing with life stuff. Uh, Dave, let us know how you fit in your uh, training into your schedule. Yeah, well, um, I kind of agree with kind of what Carrie was saying when she was saying, you know, it's, it's not about fitting it in, it's about, you know, just what you do. And I think weightlifting has become such an important part in my life where I, I have to do it for my psyche and my body and the way I want to feel. And uh, it's just a big release for me uh, being in the weight room and you know, that connection between you and the weights is huge. So for me, it's, it's, it's finding, you know, in my schedule, it doesn't really matter how busy I am. I'm going to find the time, whether I'm getting up at four in the morning or not. And um, being in the fitness industry as a career, I think it's really important for me to emphasize that part of my life and how important it is to me because people really enjoy seeing the passion come out of their trainers and their coaches. So for me, that's a huge aspect for, for my lifestyle and um, just who I am. It's, so just so that you know, because both Dave can't see us and no one listening to this can see us, but when Dave was saying that it's like necessary for mental health to lift, Danielle and I were nodding aggressively. <laughs> it's um, I, And I think a lot of people who lift weights, who, if anyone listens to this, um, is you have to is that you know like Danielle was saying when we took a week off you start getting twitchy and want to be here and it's um it's a very kind of different kind of release you know growing up playing lacrosse and things like that I was very used to cardio highs and it's very different weightlifting but it's it's very ritualistic we do it over and over again um and there's something very cathartic about that yeah I think Dave touched on another good point too where as a strength coach it's important to lead by example so like I may not have as big a total as some of the people that I coach, but I make sure I go into the gym every day, I work hard, I you know, suck it up through days that don't feel well and I put forth my best effort just for that same reason, to, to lead by example. I think that's important in any, in any coach. Um, our next topic that we're gonna talk about doesn't really include you, Danielle, because you've been with me for two oh, years, so you first meet. <laughs> Woo! We've made continual <laughs> progress, but Dave and Carrie started with me after they had some formal training in the sport. <laughs> Sorry. And so after some formal training in the sport, they've built some habits that I needed to unbuild and then build up new ones. So when we started, both of them had competed I think Dave competed eight weeks after we started together, and Carrie competed maybe 12 weeks. Four months, maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah, all right, so three or four months after we started. So their very first meet, like, to be brutally honest as a coach, I didn't give a fuck how well they did in that meet because, you know, you're trying to build new habits at the time, and they had already qualified for nationals, so the meets didn't really mean much, and I wanted to make sure that they were putting their best foot forward later on in that training year. But I'm sure as an athlete, it wasn't easy going through the process. So, Carrie, if you, and, and be brutally honest with this, because I know there had to be times where you started to lose trust in the process a little bit. And um, go through that process of starting a new program, um, doing a meet that didn't go so well, and then building from there. 
For sure. So, so yeah, so I worked with my buddy for two years. I was then kind of left for a summer on my own and just kind of messed around and then decided that powerlifting really was something I wanted to do and I wanted to compete. Um, and so ended up here at TPS with Kevin. Um, and at the, so my squat was acceptable at the weight. My bench will suck forever. And my deadlift was strong, but very fairly rounded. And so it, the first thing was ripping everything back to basics and back to lightweight. Um, and then it was also for me adjusting to a completely new kind of rep scheme. So the way I had trained before, we would start at 20 reps for a few weeks, go to 12 reps for a few weeks, to eight reps, to four, two, to one. Um, and so when I looked at the first set of programming that Kevin had done for me and nothing ever went above three reps <laughs> for most of our top sets, I was like, so do we ever do 12s? And everyone laughed. Um, so it was definitely, <laughs> um, an adjustment for me. And, and, you know, I would kind of get to the end of the workout and look around and be like, all right, now what? Um, cause I was used to pushing everything in volume, um, since my, maxes still weren't as high um so we started working on a bunch of things my squat form needed a lot of help my old trainer had said either we could maintain our relationship or he could fix my squat not both um so um we ripped that back down and I had never gotten more than one squat at a meet I failed always both my second and third attempts um and so we really started to work on building that back up um, my bench, I just needed some help on the form. So we worked through that. And then my deadlift, we ended up during the process of the first meet, but ripping the weight all the way back down on there. Um, you know, I had, I had been able to pull 336. Um, and so we were using that as my training max, but I wasn't strong in the lift. I got hurt once. It wasn't consistent. Um, and when we got to the first meet that I did in February, it was really bad. What did you pull? Sub 300, right? Oh, yeah. It was, I opened at 285, which went up, and then 293 or something, which was a grind, and 297 didn't move. And, I mean, at my first meet two and a half years ago, I was pulling over 300. And when so. we dropped your training max from 336 to... Two 300. Two 300. Oh, and I was so unhappy. I was so unhappy dropping that max. Um... Deadlifting was my thing. I mean, Danielle saw me cry over this far too many times. Neither Danielle or Kevin liked tears. It wasn't great. Um, and and it, was, it was honestly nice having Danielle there as well, seeing that someone else had gone through this and could keep saying, trust the process. Because um, it really sucks in the moment being told to trust the process. You want to hit someone with a plate and, you know, that's about that. Um, but it, you know, it, coming out of that meet, we took the step back, um, and we're able to build up a bunch more of the weights and my squat total, um, between then and nationals went up 45 pounds. Um, my deadlift from the terrible one in February to nationals went up 50 pounds. Like we, we put the weight back on pretty quickly. Um, but there was, it had to get bad before it got better. Yeah, and, like, as a coach, like, with their first meet, when they have the confidence that they've pulled this big number before, 
like sometimes you need that little bit of failure to be like, okay, so maybe what I'm doing isn't working. Like I, I feel that early on, if I had told you we need to cut this back, that probably wouldn't have worked well. No, <laughs> it barely worked when it did. But right. as but you know the fact that I had seen it fail meant I knew I had to try something, um, and and you know keeps you humble and keeps you wanting to do it the right way. And I think honestly the biggest thing was. Before, when I was competing, I kind of hoped I would hit weights, and sometimes I did, and a lot of times I got red lights, um, and the amount of confidence I have going into meets now, I know I'm going to get white lights on every on every weight that moved at nationals, because my third bench didn't move. Um, I got all white lights. Like, it, you know, it's clean, I know it's there, and it doesn't make me nearly as nervous as I used to be. I used to be a pretty nervous lifter. That training block with Carrie's deadlift too, and we had dropped it down to 300. The most that she had touched was 245 pounds. So that would be about 80% of 300. However, of her actual um, deadlift max, it only adds up to about 73%. I'm pretty sure she only touched that 245 one or two times in a three or four month period. And she ended up hitting 325 a few months later, right? And then... Uh, it started to it started to move back from there. Then we got three thirty six in August and yep. then three forty one at nationals. And like one thing too, and I think this just comes with experience. Kerry's first meet, we actually used to call cutting a squat high when it got heavy. We used to call it carrying a squat. <laughs> I didn't like that for the record. <laughs> <laughs> so she she would get scared and she would cut it high and stuff. And and you know the the more you compete, obviously the more you get comfortable in that that competitive mindset. But at Nationals, after her first attempt squat, they decided that her knee sleeves were not approved. So we literally had to run to the SBD booth, we had to buy new ones, we had to get her into the new ones and get her on the platform before a second attempt, which was a meet PR. And none of that phased her at any point in the meet. And this goes for everybody. Like even Danielle got paused uh, between her, <laughs> was that your third deadlift? Yeah, yep. third. So before her third deadlift, and there were a lot of stories of about people at nationals when stuff got slowed down, like they get so amped up and ready to go, they, they huff the ammonia and then they get held up. And then they just can't get that psychological edge and they miss the lifts. However, you know, both Danielle and Kerry and even and even Dave, because Dave got red lights on his second squat uh, for depth, but came back and made that adjustment and it didn't phase them mentally. And I, I think that was a big improvement from what we had seen from Kerry earlier on. Um, Dave, you kind of had a similar situation as Kerry where I think you competed in January after we started in, after Nationals, it was pretty a quick turnaround and your squat was what, like 20 pounds plus less than what it was at Nationals? Um, for which squat? Oh, in that first... Uh, yeah, February, that February meet yeah. in January. Yeah, I hit um, like 590 and I went for like a, uh, to match my meet PR from Nationals, which was like 606 and I missed it and that was like the first squat I've ever, I had ever missed in my life. So that was kind of a, a new experience, kind of a, you know, a mental um, sort of setback for me for a little bit, but I think it was really, in the long run, it was a, you know, it, it helped me grow as a lifter. So I just, I realized, you know, how quickly, um, well, how how important the training blocks were because we only I think we only trained for like eight weeks after nationals before I competed again, and I just I didn't have enough reset time between those. Um, so that, I think that really affected me as a lifter. 
and just go, go to show how important the process was for me to, you know, you know, start at a certain point and build towards, you know, um, that PR that we're looking for with the right amount of time in between. Right. And like, and there were a lot of technical things like you're a brand new lifter. You just have a big squat and a big deadlift. And as you're trying to fix technique things and the angles of the lifts are changing, like there's a, sometimes you got to take a step backwards to take two steps forward and it takes time. And I think in a lot of cases, especially in like this day and age where we're just kind of looking for instant gratification all the time and it's always, you know, the next meet's the biggest one. But if you're trying to be competitive in this sport, nobody gives a shit about your local meets. Like we used a local meet for Danielle just to qualify for nationals. Like we weren't trying to put any numbers out there or hit hit any huge PRs, like, we were trying to structure everything around that one moment in October down in Florida on that national level platform, and, you know, sometimes you got to see the long game and see how it's more important than the, uh, than the short game, and finally, like, when that stuff starts to come together, you start to kind of, you know, realize stuff and get some steam moving forward. Do you agree, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back to the point, you know, just about where we were before we were with you as lifters, you know, I think something's important for me to touch on is I had, uh, when I first started lifting the year before I got with Kevin, I had um, sort of done my own program for a little bit, but when I got into nationals, I was looking for, you know, I was doing some program research and I came across Bora Shakeup and I just downloaded his cookie cutter program and I was like, oh, this is high volume. I fucking love high volume. So I didn't want to do the other ones that I found. So I went on to um, run that high volume uh, cookie cutter program that I didn't really know anything about. And that's what I went into for my first nationals with. I like, I hit PRs on all my lists. So I was like, well, this is working for me. Like. So when after nationals, when Kevin reached out to me and was like, "Hey, um, you know, if you're looking for a coach, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to, you know, help you out," and I realized that Kevin's form or uh, style of training was uh, shake was as well. I was like, "Hey, this is kind of a perfect fit." So I think that kind of helps tell a story of how I ended up with Kevin and where I was before Kevin and why I was. So gung ho about joining forces with Kevin is because of his background um, and just where we were both coming from as lifters and uh, our programming. Yeah, I mean those cookie cutter uh, Shiko programs are pretty good. Like, there's a lot that you can develop pretty good technique from just doing sheer volume. Um, but they were just they were literally they just came from his book and people started running them as if they if they were gospel without making like necessary adjustments to it to them and there wasn't much variation it's just the straight lifts and leading into a meet like that for that 16 weeks I, I mean you did good research because that's that's the perfect type of thing to be doing um in that situation this is actually a good lead-in uh to my next question where it's gonna be a little different for everyone because dave's 1500 miles away so he actually trains with me online so that's gonna have a little bit of a different perspective but what is it like being coached by me. <laughs> and you better say nice things there, your volume will double. Danielle. What's it like? <laughs> A day in the life. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm very different when it comes to everybody else because I've been working with you from the beginning. So I've seen, I mean, when I first started, I wasn't even squatting with weight when we started. So 
going from not being able to put weight on my back to being able to squat a decent amount <laughs> for my weight class. I mean, I kind of put all my trust in you. And I mean, I've been following the program, knock on wood, I've never had an injury. I've always hit my lifts. So I just, I don't really think about it. I know you're going to put my numbers in there. I probably will complain a lot because that's kind of one of my characteristics <laughs> to complain, <laughs> even though I love it. Um, but I just, I put all my trust in you. I do what I have to do and I know it's going to work. So I never, I've never questioned you as a coach. So I feel like I don't have much input because... You've never had another powerlifting coach. Right. I've never had another powerlifting coach. I mean, I can compare you to other coaches I had who have been really mean. And <laughs> some days you are, but it's it's... I feel like we have like a really good relationship where like you're able to read us and know like <coughs> when, to, when to back off of us and kind of give us a second or when to push us. I mean, I quit for three weeks because I was being an emotional brat and <laughs> fine. And you didn't even like push it. You were like, all right, fine. And then I was like, oh, he doesn't even care. What a jerk. <laughs> and then like three weeks later, I was like on the floor twitching, needing to get back into the gym. And you were like, all right, see you at the gym. And I mean, that training block sucked. I was like, I can't compete anymore. I'm, <laughs> I can't lift anything. I was like dumping weights that I never dumped before. And it like definitely played a little game with my head, especially going into So that right, week. so Danielle quit three weeks, for three weeks, like nine weeks out from a meet that she needed to qualify for nationals. So there was a, uh, a little ramping up process to uh, <laughs> little... make sure her numbers were where they needed to be. Yeah, and it definitely messed with my head. But I knew in the back of my mind, I'm like, I just need to trust the process because I know it's going to work. Kevin knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So I cried a few times, but I pushed through it. And then, I mean, here we are, no, just getting sure. back from nationals. So, Carrie. Get it done. Um, it's, I mean, it definitely works. It's, and I think, yeah, all of us are slightly different and you know we often call ourselves the island of the misfit toys it all works together <laughs> in some weird weird way um it, you know i think that it works very well with kevin we're both very analytical and like to really work out why we're doing things not just go and do them um so there has to be a good amount of just trust the system but I also want to know, all right, why am I trusting the system? Explain it well enough that I can buy into it. Um, and I have. So, you know, I feel like we've made that work and made that happen. And, you know, it, it's everything from, all right, literally jumping up from the lift and getting in his face because I feel like it wasn't good enough and wanting an answer that second. Which, which literally which, just happened. <laughs> right not even. Um and then and then it's not only the being able to kind of deal with it in that moment, it's also then Kevin will text us four hours later and be like, okay, what if we try this instead? What if we do this? Um, I mean, the group message that me and Kevin and Danielle are, are on is the most active text message thread <laughs> of any in my phone. I'll be sitting in a meeting and it just blows up. But it's, you know, it's both the fact that we are actually just like friends in life and we'll chat about whatever's going on but it's also all right we'll think about um what are the different things we can be doing with programming he really lets us buy in and be a part of the thought process as much as at the end of the day all right yep that's what we're doing let's go do it yeah and like I, I feel that's a big part you know for buy-in too like if somebody believes in the program it's going to work a lot better than if they have doubts at the same time, but also, you know, I feel too often 
Like, you know, it's going back to the long game versus short game. Like, a lot of technical errors aren't being fixed by some type of cue that's that the coach is going to say. And, like, I feel a lot of coaches just get into this. Into this every rep, they're going to tell you everything that they're doing inappropriate. Um, so I like to, in a lot of cases, like, if something's not working well and we're not seeing an improvement, to not jump to a rational decision and just... <laughs> Dave, what are you doing? <laughs> you playing, you playing the drums back there, Dave. Last week was a two ball. Uh, told them causing feedback or something? Yeah. Uh, we, I can hear the girls through your speakers, and it's, yeah, so put headphones in. It's loud. Give me a second. <laughs> but so I don't, I don't like to just jump to conclusions and, like, try to just give a cue and just, you know, pass off something as if it's not important or that it's it's a simple fix like sometimes you gotta like really like think about the issue and let some time settle between it and then come up with a game plan to attack it because everything kind of goes around that meet schedule anyways so if they're not competing for a while there's no reason to make any rash change in training and you know to sit down and really put some thought behind it so Dave you done playing tiddlywinks over there? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Dave actually, he lives in Florida, so he's 1,500 miles away. So he is coached by me in a completely different realm than Danielle and Carrie, who see me three times a week. Lucky so, us. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Dave, explain a little bit um, what it's like training at a distance and, the, and just that, that, whole, that whole experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... One thing that I think that really helps uh, our relationship is that we knew we knew each other before um, I moved to Florida, so we just kind of had a friendship uh, before we started uh, before you started coaching me. So um, we were able to sort of start at a certain point um, with our relationship where we didn't really have to be sort of you know right off the uh, sort of like a cold call kind of thing. So I guess um, one thing that I find. Uh, really, really helpful with Kevin is that you are always, you know, at the touch of my fingertips. So I can always text you at any time or talk to you about anything that's going on with my training or even during my lifts. I can, you know, after a set, I can text you something and you're you're going to be right there responding with me about whatever questions I have or um, issues I'm having or anything like that. So when it comes to that, I think it's great, and I think we have a really good understanding of each other, and we're able to you know bounce ideas off each other as well. Um, you know, me being in the fitness industry and being a strength coach, uh, I think we have some really good conversations about you know how to move forward and things to work on and techniques and stuff. So. Um, honestly, I, I couldn't. I couldn't ask for a better situation. I mean, I'd love to be a part of the TPS um, lifts together, but you know, I know I'm there in spirit, and uh, I got some good teammates. So yeah, everything's good on my end. Being far away, I can't really com- complain about anything. You know, and one thing like, so I don't do a lot of online coaching. It was something that was relatively new at the time, and Dave was one of my first ones. And what it's taught me as a coach, and this even includes with the in-person coaching, is a lot more patience. Like, a lot of times, I can't fix everything with Dave because I'm not right there. So you gotta just, you know, have effective communication and stuff. Like, that's important, but you gotta just let the training play out, give them stuff to work on, and there's, 
there's no rush. Like it'll fix itself as long as the right variations are in there. You're doing the right volumes, the right intensities. Um, every everything works out in the end. So it, it actually has made me a little bit better of an in-person coach because I don't. I won't cue as much. Like I'm sure when we started two years ago, I was telling you what you did wrong with every rep. Now it's rarer. There's one thing I, I, I you know, I give more feedback than I do cues. Yeah. Um, at at this point. Yeah. In training, so it taught me to be a little bit more patient, and I think that actually helped clear up technical errors a lot more over time. You know, me basically just shutting my fucking mouth and letting them train for the most part. I think played an important role in, the, in their uh, success. So. With wait, that said, wait, before you oh, move yes. on, I just want to comment that, like, working with Kevin, he literally thinks about powerlifting. What, what does Shiko say we're supposed to do? 20, 20 hours, hours of the day. 24? The and other four hours we're training. So I we thought are, it was 20 training. No, I trained for more than one hour. <laughs> In my mind, the four hours <laughs> were pretty sure great. I'm pretty sure you more, more than one hour, too. I read numbers. <laughs> so, so we're either thinking or lifting all the time, and... I think a lot of us think about lifting a lot. I think Kevin thinks about it all the time. And I don't know if Amy is one of our eight subscribers, but if she is, <laughs> Kevin's wife gets a lot of credit for putting up with all of us. And we really do text Kevin all the time. And he answers us all the time, <laughs> which is, it's awesome. And it, you know, it, it really is a lifestyle. <laughs> Sorry, we can move on. Now. She's probably just happy I'm not up her ass. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Amy. <laughs> so the the last thing to close us out is I'm gonna have you guys just kind of give advice to lifters, whether they're beginners, intermediates, like stuff you've kind of learned along the way that you feel is important to those who are competing in the sport. Go ahead, Daniel. Um, I think you just need to stick with it, trust the process, and be consistent. Like you can't be skipping training days. You can't. <laughs> milk it as much as you want to or like sandbag your workouts I mean there's times when Carrie and I are like should we actually do this and then I'm like ah we have to do it it's like <laughs> we just kind of push each other and finding like a really good team I mean going back to the whole coaching thing Carrie and I can be very emotional beings and having a coach who is not as emotional as us and can kind of keep us in check really helps out because I mean I've worked with so many coaches that are also emotional and it's never a good fit and I don't know, working with someone who can keep me calm, even if I'm punting coffees because <laughs> I can't sit still. Like it just, you need to find a community that you can work with and a team that will support you. That's, I mean, I probably wouldn't be here if I didn't have who I had. A good steady training environment. Yes. Like, and that goes like for the people who jump from coach to coach every six weeks. Um, I hope there's enough info on here that you can understand why that would be a bad idea. Um, so carry advice for lifters. You know, and yeah, I think it is finding what works for you and fucking loving it is that like, it's not like when you're a kid and you play the piano and you practice the piano because your mom tells you to like we're we've chosen this every single one of us have chosen this we've chosen to put however many hours against it the being positive about it and enjoying it is such a mindset thing and so you know it the I, one of my biggest pet peeves is people posting being like oh wasn't this set terrible like no you don't need someone to pick you up and put you back together again like Trust what you're doing, love what you're doing, and like the people you're doing it with, and, and you know, just enjoy it. And that, that's what it's here for. Like, you know, and so if what you really like is being competitive, awesome. Go be competitive. Enjoy that. If what you like is lifting for fun, 
do that. Do the thing that makes you happy. Um, and, and then it won't feel like a chore. You won't be miserable about it. You know, it, it should be something that adds to your life. Yeah, and on top of that, too, like, it doesn't matter what federation you compete in, whether you complete you compete raw, single-ply, multi-ply. Like, as, as a community, if we need to be more supportive of, of each other. And if you enjoy doing a certain program or lifting raw or single-ply or multi-ply because it's fun, then do it. Because at awesome. the end of the day, nobody fucking cares. Like, powerlifting is such a small sport that... You know, the people in powerlifting don't even fucking care that much about powerlifting. <laughs> that does sound like a panda. Hey, Dave. Yo. Panda Dave. Panda Dave. You got some advice for lifters? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, to new lifters, you know, surround yourself with strong people. You know, educate yourself on the sport. Um, you know, do your own research. Um, you know, enjoy you know, the process of becoming an, a lifter, you know, enjoy, you know, those moments when you miss a lift, because if you get back to the grind and you're, you know, you, you work hard at something, the feel, feeling of accomplishment you have when you go back to that weight and you smash it is, you know, it, there's nothing else like it for me. And I think that speaks back to understanding how big of a role the sport of powerlifting or just weightlifting in general can play in your life besides just being weight being moved. It's a huge, you know, lifestyle choice and for, you know, so many individuals it does so much more than just, you know, gives them something to do with their time. Yeah, and I, th- I think one of the important things that Dave said right there is enjoy the process. Like, it is a process. It's not something that you just get good at overnight. Like, it's something that you go through the stages of being a novice, intermediate, and elite level lifter over time and just enjoy the moment you know I, I think we do this a lot in life when it's like I can't wait till I can hit these numbers or I turn this age or I can do these things like in, enjoy the moment live in the moment don't worry too much about you know yesterday you continue to train you're gonna get stronger and don't worry too much about what the future holds in the sport like just focus on your training do it on a day-to-day basis um, and put forth 100% effort and, and good things will happen in time and I think that's one of the best things about this sport is if you work hard, positive results will follow. Um, so we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, sign it out. See ya. Oh, bye. Deuces. <laughs> <laughs> bye, Dave. Bye, Panda Dave. Bye, guys. Love you. See you again. <laughs> Visit us soon. All right. See ya. Bye. I just want you to know that Dave kept his video on the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could have seen what he was doing. That's what Oh, yeah. Doing. Eating bamboo. Wiping his ass. What the hell is going on? We're still recording. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. The punting coffee cups thing. All right, you ready? We're gonna get started. I don't care. I'm trying to find my questions. I I'm gonna I ask. Them. I'm gonna ask them as they go through. I got them. It's to okay. You ahead of time, so you okay. can think about them. I did oh. think about it. I, I figured. Okay. The first one is introduce yourself. What's my name? All right. Who's your daddy? You guys are good? Because yeah. you can't be talking as I'm, I'm talking. Ready. You need to shut your fucking pie hole, Bond. Shut up. Punt you. All right. All right, so we're going we're gonna to start, Dave. You ready? Yeah.
Yeah. Are you like asking us questions? How's this working? Ready? Yeah, I sent you the questions I'm gonna ask. That's why. I but said you're this. gonna ask them. I don't have to just like go off. <laughs> oh no no no! Why no. the fuck would I know? Just chill the fuck out. Jesus. It's just a regular conversation at the gym. This should stay on the podcast <laughs> because this is basically how it this always is works. Life. We never agree on anything. You should have seen me getting after it for taking away.